Welcome. You're listening to the podcast where we interview founders innovating at the near frontier, whose companies will give you a glimpse of the future. Near Frontier is brought to you by Cantos, a venture firm that invests in world-positive deep tech startups at Pre-Seed and Seed. To learn more, visit us at cantos.vc. I'm Natalie Estrella, talent partner at Cantos Ventures. In my inaugural podcast, we're joined by Yusuf Uden, head of talent at KDT Ventures, a venture capital firm that invests in seed and pre-seed companies across the life sciences, specifically at the intersection of where AI meets chemistry and biology. He's based out of Atlanta, Georgia, and has a PhD in biophysics and biochemistry. He pivoted into the world of executive recruiting in 2018, starting at a boutique agency, then at Life Size Search in New York. And trust me, that's not something typical in the VC or the talent world. We'll get into how he got into recruiting and how he partners with founders to scale their companies. Hey, Yusuf, thanks for joining me today. Excited to chat with you about the talent world. Hey, Natalie. Thanks for the intro. This will be my first professional podcast, assuming we aren't counting the ones my sister and I did in the past for fun, but super excited to be doing this with you. Well, I couldn't really think of anyone better to join me to talk about this topic since you have such an interesting background. This is probably one of the most common questions you get. And this is my favorite question to ask recruiters, especially when I'm trying to recruit them. But how did you go from a highly technical PhD into recruiting? Yeah, so I've always been fascinated by biology all throughout grade school and into college. I really wanted to work in a wet lab wearing a a lab coat and messing around with chemicals. So I met my PhD advisor in undergrad and I shadowed with one of her graduate students to get a better understanding of what their lab was focused on. And one of my my characteristics, my personal characteristics is that I'm very interested in learning a little about a lot. And that kind of seems counterintuitive when you think about what a PhD is, but my lab was unique in that we had exposure to a wet lab where we cultured cells and overexpressed proteins. And then we ran those through various instruments to purify and biochemically characterize them. And then we transitioned that to imaging those proteins in an electron microscope. And then finally, we performed computational reconstruction to get images on the final protein structure. So it was that really that diversity of wet lab microscope time and computers that drew me into that, that field initially. But I realized about two to three years in that that path to becoming a tenured professor in academia was a really long and drawn out process, often involving multiple postdocs. It kind of felt like a lottery. So I figured it was best to explore new career paths. I got involved with an NIH funded career development program that provided me with internships and networking opportunities to explore new careers. I figured initially that I would go into industry science as a scientist and get into biotech, eventually pivot my way into some sort of management role, but I didn't really have a clear path on how to do that. So probably about my fourth or fifth year, I met a couple PhD students in my network and they were at this boutique executive recruiting firm. I didn't know much about the field at the time, but I knew I wanted to work with people and get away from the bench. So I decided to give it a shot. After about six months in, I realized this was a job where I could learn a little bit about a lot and I decided to make a career out of it. I should also add that I'd be the last person to defend the point that you need a PhD to do this job. But in a business-focused world where first impressions make a difference, our clients are really excited to see that we had a team full of MDs and PhDs working to hire the best transformational leaders in the space. What an incredible story. And you're probably the only recruiter I know with a PhD, even though, fun fact, I also have a degree in biology. 
I was pre-med in college, kind of went that route of, you know, trying to become a doctor. But at the end of the day, when I first got into recruiting, I found it to be so much more engaging. I love chatting with people. And it sounds like you you had a similar story where recruiting really became this career path that I, I actually didn't know was even an option in college. It's even more interesting that we both ended up in the VC world. And speaking of that, how did you end up at KDT? Yeah, it's interesting. I didn't know that about you, Natalie. But yeah, so I spent I spent about two years at that boutique agency. We were primarily working with medical device and diagnostic companies. And then I moved to a larger firm that focused a little bit more on biotech and pharma clients. But I was at a point in my career where I wanted to step into the sales side of the business of agency recruiting and bring in new clients for myself. But you really have to have a, a deep network in order to do this. KET Ventures reached out to me and told me that they were looking for a head of talent. They wanted someone with an advanced technical background, given the breadth and depth of their portfolio to assist them with their company's talent acquisition. And I thought this was a really great opportunity to develop a network of founders in biotech, medtech, synthetic biology, biomanufacturing, and much more. Yeah, we're really glad to have co-invested in a lot of similar technologies as KDT. But I do think a, a lot of people don't know that some VC firms have recruiters in their team. Are you able to give us an overview of what your role is specifically within KDT? So I've hit my one-year anniversary at KDT, and and my love and excitement for this team has never really stopped growing. But my job is constantly evolving, and we didn't really have a concrete plan for what this position would look like initially. But we knew that the main way to drive value for portfolio companies was to stick with what I knew best, which is bringing in the best people from inside and outside of our network to augment our founders' reach and capabilities. Every VC book that I've read so far has a section on people. And human capital is really is extremely important at the seed stage. Obviously, it's very hard to go from zero to one without a team. You need really good people to get along and understand the long-term vision of the company, but you also need to have a structure between the founders, the employees, and the investors. I like to break down my job at KDT into three main functions. One is full-stack recruiting. Two is being a search firm liaison. And then three is general advising. So for full-stack recruiting, like I mentioned before, I'm a strong believer that you don't need a background in the field that you're recruiting for in order to find someone great. Or in other words, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to find a rocket scientist, although it certainly helps. You do, however, need to fully immerse yourself in the industry. Every recruiting project starts with an intake call with the hiring manager to calibrate on an ideal phenotype. I like that you say phenotype. What a callback to Biology 101. Yeah, it's something that I learned from my executive search room days. But what a lot of recruiters don't take the time to do is study the science and technology behind the field. So depending on the search, I like to read articles or white papers on a company's technology, find industry competitors, or even look up IPOs or merger acquisitions to see who led that company through that, through that success. I think the best candidate sourcing comes from a really good foundation in the research. I probably spend most of my time doing this function for a portfolio. And I think it's really valuable because of the simple nature of agency recruiting. It can be a really lucrative business. It's got relatively low overhead and expenses, and they're able to pull in these huge placement fees. I actually did the math last year, and I collectively saved our portfolio about a million dollars in recruiting fees across all the placements that we made. But considering I'm a one-man recruiter for over 50 companies and growing, they can be a really impossible task to take on by myself, which takes me to function two. I would just like to interject here that, yeah, I can totally believe that you've saved your companies a million dollars last year. Hiring a search firm can cost upwards of 25 to 30% of first year compensation, and even more so for executive search firms, though I'm sure a part of both of our roles is also being knowledgeable about the agency world. 
Yeah, totally. So that kind of gets me to that second function, which is acting as that search firm liaison. So I spent my career sitting on one side of the table, pitching services to a client. And now at KDT, I sit on the opposite side of that table where I diligent search firms and recommend agencies that are equipped with experiences and, and networks to help our founder. I've built up a really large list of search firms, both contingent and retained. They each have unique specialties across various, our various fields of investments. These firms have the manpower to take on all these urgent searches. And then finally, my last function is general talent resources and advising. This is kind of a mix of miscellaneous projects, but it can include anything from providing compensation benchmarking reports, interviewing finalists, conducting reference calls, introducing board members or consultants to founders, writing job descriptions, even helping formulate job offers or pairing founders with executive coaches. Wow. And congrats on, on when you're at KDT. Thanks for laying this out since we both have found that the VC talent role can differ quite a bit with each firm. And some of them don't even do full cycle recruiting, which I found really surprising. Yeah, this is a really interesting point. And you and I both are kind of, we see this firsthand and we're, as we're both part of this monthly roundtable discussion among talent leaders at various VCs in, in tech and life sciences. I think the VCs with larger AUMs tend to partner with a few trusted search firms that they, that can carry out their portfolio's executive hiring. If they do have talent teams, they tend to be more focused on that second and third function of my work, which is matchmaking portfolio companies with agencies or advising founders on talent strategy or even recommending board members and assisting with a company's overall organizational structure. But I don't know, Natalie, do you have a different take on this? I'd love to hear the things that you're doing at Cantos. I would say that our roles are really quite similar. Sometimes it's more strategic and advisory, while sometimes they do need me as their boots in the ground recruiter, especially at those earlier stages that you talked about. I don't actually have a background in executive recruiting, but I do have a ton of experience in the operational and scaling side. I sometimes assist in setting up applicant tracking systems and any recruiting training founders or their teams might need. The stages that we invest in, founders don't usually even know where to start. So I have been really grateful for the opportunity to influence how and who they hire at such an early stage. A piece of my role is, and something that I have noodled a ton on, is around how to build community with our founders, since it can be a very lonely journey. And then, of course, having that multiply out into the talent networks that we might have both here in LA and in San Francisco and across the country where we might have portfolio companies. I do find it really great that you're able to hire so many different levels of talent. Yeah, totally. So one thing I should add is that because we invest primarily at the seed and pre-seed and seed stages, oftentimes these companies have fewer than five employees. So at such an early stage, a, a mechanical engineer or a molecular biologist is, is just as important as a head of business development or a chief financial officer. But I'm constantly keeping my ears to the ground to understand where our investment team thinks talent resources can be best utilized. You mentioned the third piece of your role at KDT is advising the portfolio. How consultative would you say your work is? So this is a really interesting question. I was chatting with a close friend of mine who used to work with me at that boutique firm, and he had an interesting learning from the time that we worked together. He said that a person with an MD or an MBA is kind of trained to be very confident in their diagnosis or their strategic advice. They have to know what they're talking about, even if they don't have the full story. But as a scientist, I feel like we're trained to be always doubtful. New discoveries happen all the time and through experimentation, and you can't always be set in your ways. So I feel like I'm kind of battling with that consultative aspect in my role. But the more I learn, the more confidence I gain, and the better equipped I am to be a good talent advisor to our portfolio. Joining KDT has really given me that unique opportunity to look under the hood of our companies and study their successes and failures rather than just offering a service for them. 
if you want to be a good recruiter, I think you really have to understand people. It's not enough to just see a candidate's technical skills or their experiences on paper and think that they're a perfect match for a company. But for many of our first-time founders, I think it's it's nice to be able to share my experience with them and, and give them a slight edge as they go out into the world and build their company. That's what makes recruiting so interesting and challenging. We have to be great at pattern matching and providing advice to our founders that are building technologies at the edges of, of innovation. Advice that could really make or break their company, especially at the stages that we invest in. What are your recommendations for where they should start searching for talent? And what do you think founders should come to you with so that you can be best equipped to find them those right candidates? So the answer to this question is a little bit underwhelming, but it's very much case-by-case situation. At the start of a search, you should be open to interviewing candidates outside of your original criteria just to get a good sense of the market. And then start by looking for competitors in your industry, both public and private. For individual contributor level roles, I think digging through white papers and finding first and second authors to see where they ended up in their careers, that's a really good strategy. And you can also look through relevant conference agendas for keynote speakers and try to arrange informational interviews with them to kind of probe their network. I also think a job description is a really great tool that a founder can can bring to the start of the search. It's a really good marketing tool that can get candidates excited about your company. Great tips, Yusuf. I agree with all of this. And in Flattery Works, what's more flattering than someone telling you that they that you read their very technical paper? And I really want to add that I wish founders would sit down and think about what kinds of qualities and technical gaps they're trying to fill, to your point about the job description. It's crucial to them hitting their next milestone and, and planning out what their product is going to be, what milestones they need to hit. Because oftentimes, we'll get a laundry list of, of wants, to haves, which is totally understandable. But since they're cash strapped, they are hoping they can find their jack of all trades. Oftentimes it ends up making the search more difficult and keeps us from starting those conversations, which is something I definitely want to reiterate. Getting out there and talking to as many relevant people will greatly increase the odds that we'll find that right person. And speaking of that, what what are the best things we can do to set up hiring teams for success? And what do you think are the most common pitfalls of, of building a company in your point of view? So salaries, I think. Salaries are the biggest expense for any company. I just finished Peter Thiel's book called Zero to One. He said something along the lines of cash is not king. For people to be fully committed, they need to be appropriately compensated. A company does better the less they pay their CEO. This, I think this varies from case to case and in the stage of the company, but a founding CEO typically gets paid around 150000 a year in salary. If they're paid well above that benchmark, they can risk becoming more like a politician where they're defending that salary rather than focusing on increasing the value of the company as a whole. As long as that figure is modest, it sets the standard for cash compensation for the rest of the company. Of course, this makes the job of a recruiter a little bit harder, as oftentimes we want to recruit employees with great pedigrees or that come from popular companies that pay at competitive rates. But startups don't always have to pay high salaries because they can offer something else that's unique, part ownership in the company itself. So if you want to invest in a startup as an individual, one of the best ways to do this is to join the company and get equity in the form of options. Earlier the stage of company, the, the better that is for you. So equity orients its employees towards driving value in the future, while cash typically orients an employee towards the present. That being said, I still think it's really important to study the benchmarks across various positions and aim to be as close to the 50th percentile as possible. Not everyone you bring into the company will align with that long-term value. And and sometimes you need to try before you buy with consultants or, or fractional positions. That is a really great fact. I actually didn't know that about CEO pay. Though I completely agree with you on on employee compensation. 
the market really doesn't care what your budget is. And what I mean by that is founders really have to do their homework when it comes to what's fair compensation and what's lucrative when it comes to equity. Founders always have their pitch down when it comes to funding. Obviously, they, they were able to get funded. That's why we're here today. And I find that they're great at pitching those investors, but the employee pitch has such crazy nuances. Like, what do I need to pay for equity? Because they do need to pay for it. And what kind of culture are we going to foster at this company? What's the sell? Like, why should they leave their super high paying jobs at a fang company to join this small startup where they're probably taking a big pay cut? And so another way to wear that is like, what's in it for the employee? How big is the upside? And how do you sell it in terms that not just investors understand? And a lot of that is just making it real for them. What are the, the other similar cases where it did work out for other people? Obviously, you're not promising people anything. It, there's still a lot of hard work that's going to be involved in, in building this company. But at the end of the day, they get a huge hand in it, to your point. And I guess like just pivoting to our last topic here, we can't have a podcast in our world without talking about the impact of AI, such as ChatGPT, BART, or Bing. What's on your wish list of how these tools can either help us or our founders with their recruiting? So with the rise in popularity of ChatGPT, companies like Lexion, Notion, Duolingo, they're all starting to integrate GPT-3's API into their own software. And now GPT-4 just came out a couple of weeks ago into their own software to add better functionality for their user. So if LinkedIn could integrate an AI tool to conversationally describe one's ideal candidate, it could very easily outcompete the current AI features that various applicant tracking systems have developed today. Example of this would be like, Imagine typing a, this query into ChatGPT. Generate a list of molecular biologists who have worked at Zymergen or a similar synthetic biology company, have at least five years of industry experience, and a PhD. Now go through that list and eliminate any candidates that are currently working with our collaborator, Twist Biosciences. And then finally, identify the ones that live in the Bay Area or have worked in mul multiple cities that might indicate that they're willing to relocate. So a lot of the criteria mentioned previously, that can be isolated with filters available today. But things like similar synthetic biology company or five years industry experience or even willingness to relocate, those are all non-intuitive. And then finally, once you have that kind of ideal shortlist, you can ask ChatGPT to write you a unique outreach message catered specifically for that individual to grab their attention. That is a really complex search, and I, I really haven't thought of doing something that complicated. So thanks, Yusuf, for bringing that up. And a lot of the tools that have come into the recruiting market for the past few years have been pretty game-changing, I would say, but a lot of them still use what's called tokens and templates within the emails. And so it does sound really robotic and still fairly inaccurate and stiff. Smart people can tell when they're using those tokens. I can tell when they're using those tokens. So I'm sure the people that are way smarter that we're talking to can tell as well. And I like the idea that we can somewhat humanize that messaging and, and really soften that up and, and make sure that it is tailored to that specific person, which can take a ton of time for both our founders and us. And to our earlier point, you can even ask these bots to go ahead and look up the last 30 folks who wrote papers relevant to the skills that you're looking for, they don't necessarily even have to go so deep into the search criteria that you were talking about, even though they can, and that's definitely super helpful. Do you think our jobs would be automated by these tools anytime soon? Yeah, so the examples we gave previously, I think 
that's all wishful thinking. I hope we can get there at some point. That'll be really exciting. But for now, I really don't think AI will be replacing recruiters anytime soon. And the reasoning for that is recruiting is part detective work and in part human-centered sales. Trying to replace all the functions of recruiting can be extremely difficult. Look at the success of LinkedIn. It's become a powerhouse for recruiters because it's transformed how we do our jobs in sourcing candidates. And it's also provided a network for individuals to showcase their accomplishments. If they started out trying to be a company to fully replace recruiters, I don't think they'd be as successful as they are today. And this is not all to say that AI can't help me filter candidates or suggest new search spaces or even provide other analytical insights. But I've learned that People and founders in particular want to work with humans when gauging the fit for other humans. I look forward to AI helping me be more efficient, but I'm not worried that it'll, it'll make me obsolete. You're right there. I do think everyone loves working with another human. How frustrating has it been to get on one of those phone calls with customer service and you get the, say your phone number and we'll transcribe it for you. And you know, then another person will ask you for all that same information. It really is still very clunky. And maybe in the next 10 years, it'll, it'll make sense. And to your early point about how recruiting is such a human function, there are a lot of punches that we come across on a daily basis. There's, I'm sure, a lot of stories from your side of, of really interesting things that's happened to you in recruiting. Do you have any to share with us? Or I'm happy to share a story with you. <laughs> yeah, why don't you go first and that'll give me some time to think of something. So one story that I fondly remember is I had a candidate for a very niche role. And I believe he and his partner were living out of Texas and they had to move out to Las Vegas. So we do the phone screens. It all goes well and fine. Amazing candidate. We want to bring them to LA to go ahead and and do their on-site interview. But their partner requested that they also come to the interview. And even though it's Definitely not standard. That That is not standard operating procedure. Honestly, there was no harm, right? And as much as we say that everyone is individualistic and they can make these decisions on their own, moving someone is, is uprooting their whole lives. It's their whole families. They are making that decision together. And so we made an offer to that candidate. We did have to negotiate with a partner in that process as well, which was also not standard. But again, no harm, no foul. Just an interesting, different situation. And I definitely learned at that moment that, yes, you do have to make sure that this person is a great fit. But at the same time, it has to be a great fit for their families as well. And you're also convincing that whole move to happen. And yeah, it was great. They were a great candidate. They ended up accepting the offer. They moved out to LA and an amazing hire for sure. That sounds awesome. You make a really good point. I think there's so much that goes into making that that decision of kind of making that transition to a new company. And and that story kind of sums it all up. So my example of an interesting recruiting story is one that happened in the past six or seven months ago. So one of our portfolio companies is a surgical robotic company, and they were looking to find a lead mechanical engineer. And the founder had some interesting strategies of what we could do to go about finding these, these, these ideal candidates. One of them being finding the engineers, the engineering team behind the BattleBots organization, the people that build robots to fight other robots. 
So what I did was, uh, I forget how I found this person, but I, the moment I spoke with him, I, I kind of, it kind of clicked for me that he was the right person for this job, given the kind of the passion criteria that the, the founder had. He was a senior mechanical systems engineer, a hands-on builder. He was both professionally and personally focused on, on building things. And he actually had a, he worked for three months at a Tesla dismantling facility. And then in his own garage, he was building a modular Tesla hot rod. It, was, it looked like an electric truck. It's really cool. And then he also told me a story about him building and welding his own dining table. So the moment I heard that, he showed me his portfolio and I said, this has got to be the guy that our founder would like. And I made that connection and there was a match. So he's working there today. What a great sourcing strategy. That's definitely a sourcing strategy I've used before. Actually, even more specifically, the BattleBots folks. I, I have a couple of friends who have done that competition before as well. And they're definitely very passionate people. And I do know for sure that that is one of the criteria that our founders use is, are they passionate about the work that they do? At the end of the day, you're going to be doing some really hard things, making a company. And so you do have to be super passionate about the work that you do. And thank you so much again, Yusuf, for chatting with me today on the Cantos podcast. I always learn so much from you. How can people find more about KDT or the roles that you're trying to fill? Yeah. Thank you so much, Natalie. It's been a pleasure to do this podcast with you and hopefully it was helpful or informative to someone else out there. So to find out more about KDT Ventures, visit our website, kdtvc.com. If you're someone looking for startup opportunities in the life sciences, you can visit our job board where you can see active openings across our portfolio, but it's not a perfect representation of our of all the opportunities that exist in the space. So you're more than welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn and, and start a conversation there to see what else, what else is happening. Thanks, Yusuf. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Near Frontier. Links to external content mentioned are available in the show notes and at nearfrontier.com, where you can also find other episodes of the show. To leave feedback or suggest future guests, you can find us on Twitter at Cantos.